I want to speak to you this morning on this subject. What should I do? It's a question. I want to ask you a few questions. What should I do? Why was I born? Why am I here at this moment of time? Where am I going? Do I know how to get there? Who can help me? Do I want help? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves concerning our eternal purpose in God and the cause for which you were born. What should I do? Why was I born? Where am I at this moment of time? Where am I going? Do I know how to get there? Who can help me? And do I want help? God had a plan for our lives when he conceived us in our mother's womb even before then. It's an eternal plan. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11 in the King James Version says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. In the message version, it says this, and it's pretty clear. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3.11, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and said, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. Listen to that. But according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Amen. You know, God had his eye on you since the beginning of time. He knows exactly where you are at this very moment of time in life. He knows your age. He knows where you live. He knows your social security number. He knows it all. So follow me now. We're talking about purpose. And a lot of people are walking aimlessly in life. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18, every purpose is established by counsel. And with good advice, make war. There's safety in the multitude of counselors. What is safety? It's the condition of being protected from or unlikely to cause danger, risk, or injury. God wants to protect us. God wants to watch out for us. God has your best interest in mind in mind. In Proverbs 20 and 18 in the HCSB version, it says this, finalize plans through counsel and wage war with sound guidance. 
Proverbs 20 and 18 in the message version says this, form your purpose by asking for counsel, then carry it out using all the help that you can get. What's God saying here? God's saying before we pursue an endeavor, talk to him and then talk to others that can give you good counsel. Ask people for advice. Follow the word of God. Good advice and counsel. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22. If you refuse good advice, watch your plans fail. Take good counsel and watch them succeed. What is advice? What is counsel? It's guidance or recommendations offered with regard to prudent future action. It's giving someone a heads up. It's telling someone there's danger above. It's telling someone this is the road that you should travel on. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 and 22, it says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. What is that saying? What is counsel? Those that are familiar in conversation with you. It's your circle of familiar friends. It's the counsel of the assembly of the church. It's counsel through intimacy with God. People don't consider using the counsel of God. They don't consider talking to God or talking to others about decisions that they make. What are our purposes? It says this, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. Our purposes are our thoughts. It's our devices. It's our imaginations. It's our cunning, devised, and invented means of doing things. It's our plan outside of God. It never works. But yet people pursue their plan, and you watch them fall flat on their face, and you like to say to them, I told you so, but you wouldn't listen. Why don't people listen? People's purposes are disappointed, and the word disappointed means to break apart or asunder, to make void, to defeat, to disannul, to frustrate, to come to naught, to dissolve, to shatter their plans because they don't ask for advice and counsel. They just go and do. Then they wake up to a nightmare one day and they say to themselves, how did I get here? What happened? How did I get here? The Bible talks about the multitude of counselors. It's those that have God's wisdom and understand the biblical principles taught in the Bible. Listen, when we violate the biblical principles, there's always a consequence. If someone is trying to warn you and give you a heads up and you say, hey, I got this, well, then you're going to get it. You're going to get it. And it's not going to be good for you. Those that can give biblical counsel and advice, those that you can consult with and exchange thoughts with, those that can give you a divine counsel and devise a plan with biblical purpose. I've told you a hundred times in the church world here, read the book of Proverbs. It'll save you a boatload of money. It'll save you a boatload of heartache. It'll save you a boatload of despair. But will people do that? No, they just go and make their plans without asking God, is this your direction. God wants to establish us. He wants to validate 
His plan and His purposes in our life. Now, as you pursue what you believe God is calling you to do, whether it's to be the greatest teacher in the world or the greatest mother, whatever God has called you to at this point in life, God says to warn you that there will be obstacles. Look what it says in the book of Ezra, chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Old enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building the temple of God of Israel. They came to Zerubbabel and the family heads and said, We'll help you build. We worship your God the same as you. We've been offering sacrifices to him since the king of Syria, Assyria brought us here. Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the family heads of Israel said to them, Nothing doing. Building the temple of our God is not the same thing to you as it is to us. We alone will build for the God of Israel. We're the ones King Cyrus of Persia commanded to do it. So these people started beating down the morale of the people of Judah, harassing them as they built. They even hired propagandists to sap their resolve. They kept this up for about 15 years throughout the lifetime of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and on the reign of Darius, the king of Persia, the message version. What does it mean that they were beating down the morale of the people? Their self-confidence, their self-esteem, their drive, their assurance, their optimism, their determination. And that's exactly what the enemy of our soul wants to do to us. He wants to take our resolve and throw it in the trash can and say, you are no count. I'm going to stop you. There's always someone that wants to rain on your parade. There's always someone that wants to rain on your parade. But I want you to get this as an insert. Sometimes God stops us in our pursuit of something that's unhealthy for our soul. Let me say that again. Sometimes God steps in and stops us in our pursuit of something that's not healthy for our souls. Job said in Job 33, 17, that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. I want to read this in the message version. It says this. To turn them back from something bad they're planning. From some reckless choice. People have pride. And they say, I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what that person says. I don't care about that warning. I don't care about that heads up. You know what pride is? Arrogance. And you know what arrogance is? Preferring our will to the will of God. Because a person believes he's better than God. That person believes that my thoughts are better. I'm more capable than God to instruct my life. I got this. My thoughts are good. When God says, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And your plan is not my plan. But yet we see people fail. And we see the blind leading the blind because they will not take instruction. You know what's so important in your purpose in life and the decisions that you make? Even to minute details, it's what I call timing. Timing is very important. 
If you watch football and you watch football the way it should be watched analytically and you watch the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman, how many times do you see a false start? What's a false start? It means somebody moved before they were supposed to. They didn't have the right timing and they got penalized and they got set back in their plan to get a first down. Timing in sports, a baseball hitter has to have good timing. He has to be able to see the ball come out of the pitcher's hand. He has to see that ball coming. He has to keep his head down and his eyes focused on the ball so that the barrel of the bat can hit the ball at the right time. And if it hits the ball at the right time, the possibility of getting a base hit or more increases exponentially. In boxing, timing matters. As one boxer spies out the other in the first round or two, and he watches the timing of the other person when he throws those blows. And it's in those timing moments that he measures that he says, I see how long it took him to throw that blow. And now I can get this one in before he throws his. It's all about timing. It's all about staying in the timing of God. Habakkuk gave us great wisdom. And he said this, for the vision in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3 in the King James says, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. What is God saying? If you're going to make a decision, wait for the right time to allow it to come to pass. People's pride makes them in a hurry. People's pride makes them get ahead of God. In the same verse, in a different version, it says, this vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait, and it doesn't lie. If it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. The problem with people are, is that they're impulsive and they're impatient. And it's not to say that the decision that they're going to make is right. But is the timing correct? Is this the time? Is this the time to do what God is saying to do? Or does pride hold us back to say, I got this. People are not going to remain cautious in these days Amen. where there's a health crisis. People are going to defy the word of God. They're going to defy instruction. And they're going to get burnt. Because there's always a consequence when your timing isn't right or when your plan is not of God and it's not in the right season, there'll be a consequence. Timing. What is that? It's the choice, the judgment, or control of when something should be done. Timing is the choice, the judgment, or control of when something should be done. What's God saying? You know, the book of Galatians says this, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, 
to redeem them that were under the Lord, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God had sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Jesus didn't come one moment early or one moment late. He came when the fullness of time was come and Mary gave birth to that baby. Though it was prophesied 700 years before. Though it was prophesied in the book of Genesis. That there would be enmity between the woman and the serpent. It came when God said, now. Now. Do it now. Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 8.6, But to every purpose there is a time and judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? And in the easier translation it says this, Yes. There is a right time and way for everything, even though, unfortunately, we miss it for the most part. Why do people miss it? Because they don't get the advice and the counsel of the word of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the counsel of the church. They just do it. And then they say, I'm in a mess. And it's not like God can't get you out of a mess. But why do you have to go into a mess if it's not necessary? I want to talk to you about God is in control. And we see the health crisis that's taking place in the world and in our country. God is in control and will do his will throughout the earth. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 14, 26, this is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed And who will annul it? His hand is stretched out and who will turn it back? What's God saying here? God is saying, I'm in control. And I have all of this under my eye. And my hand is throughout all the nations. In the message version it says this. This is the plan. Planned for the whole earth. And this is the hand that will do it reaching into every nation. The God of the angel armies has planned it. Who could ever cancel such plans? His is the hand that's reached out. Who can brush it aside? You know what God's saying? Don't you worry, children. I'm in total control. I understand the coronavirus. I understand the health issues. I have my hand on the nations. And as I said a week or two ago, God is in the business of sifting the nations. He's in the business of sifting individuals. He's in the business of sifting churches and businesses and banks and the economy. And when it's all said and done and God has shaken all of it, the only thing that will remain is what's based on the word of God. Mm. Believe it or not, even Pharaoh was an instrument in the hand of God to deliver the Jewish people. In Romans chapter 9, verse 17, it says, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, For even for this purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Pharaoh had a purpose. He chose to disobey God. He chose not to listen to the preacher. He chose not to listen to Moses. And I bet that Moses was looking forward to the last sermon that he would ever preach to Pharaoh. When God said, you're done, son. 
That's the end of the sermons. Because now we're going to cross, praise God, hallelujah, the Red Sea, hallelujah. And you're going to see your enemies under your feet, praise God, as you look back upon them. Those that are pursuing you, those that are trying to hurt you, those that are trying to take you captive. But son, listen to my plan. And what a plan it was. The army to his back, mountains to the side, and a Red Sea to cross over. And all Moses had in his hand was a rod. Now who would ever think of doing business with a rod? Who would ever think that the plan of God would come down to a man of God with a rod standing and saying to that sea, depart. And like walls of cement and walls of brick, the sea parted. And they crossed over. And then in one Leap of faith. Moses turned when God gave him the right time and said, Now raise that rod and the sea will close. It was God's perfect timing. That's where a lot of people miss it. They miss it. They make decisions not based on the counsel of God's word. Hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Hear what God is trying to say. All the nations of the world are instruments in the hand of God. Can you prove it? Yes. In Jeremiah 51, 29. And the land shall tremble and sorrow. For every purpose of the Lord shall be performed against Babylon. To make the land of Babylon a desolation without an inhabitant. In Psalms 107 and 16. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. What is God saying? God's saying, I will deal and judge the nations. And he says, I will break the gates of brass and I will cut down the bars of iron asunder. I told you a few weeks ago, the Berlin Wall fell. I told you the Iron Curtain folded up. I believe the same will happen to China. And those nations that are coming against God, and especially coming against Israel, eventually they will fold. Because God's judgment is true and his word is accurate. And he says in his word that he will perform, it's not only against Babylon in the Old Testament. That represents all the nations as I spoke to you concerning Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 29. All the nations. The purpose of Cyrus. Why was Cyrus the king? Made king. He was a pagan king. The Bible says in the book of Ezra chapter 5 and verse 13. How God changed the course of history for the Jews. How he changed the course of history even for us. But in the first year of Cyrus the king of Babylon. The same king Cyrus made a decree to build the house of God. Cyrus wasn't. A church man? He wasn't really a Christian. He was a pagan king. But as I've said to you in the past, I believe our president is a type of King Cyrus that God has put in the White House. Because God puts up kings and queens and takes them down. There's a reason. And if you look at some of the profile of King Cyrus in the Old Testament, 
you'll see the same profile of the present day president in the White House. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 28, thus saith of Cyrus, this is God speaking, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. What was God saying to King Cyrus? He was saying, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to bring the Jewish people home so they can build their house and worship me again as they did before. Our present day president has a love for the Jewish people. He's made decisions that have made changes in Jerusalem. He's been bold enough, like, like unlike any other president, to make a promise to the Jewish people and keep it. Many before had made the promise, but never kept it. He has. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two levied gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked ways straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. I believe our president has done that in foreign nations. Whether it's trade deals, where it's getting people who are being imprisoned for their faith, I forgot the number, it's 18 or 20 that he's been able to get released from foreign countries, from jails and prison and torture. Breaking down the gates, breaking down the bars, making trade deals, causing America to prosper like never before. Because he's a tool in the hand of God. How can God put anyone in office like I showed you, he used Pharaoh for his, for his purpose. God doesn't just put, allow anyone to come into office. There's a reason. To perfect his will. To do his purpose among the nations. And people don't understand the word of God. You can hate. You can do all that. But if God put that person there, it's for a purpose. So that his prophetic will can take place throughout the world. God has a job for each of us to do. Getting back to the individual person and purpose. I tried to show you how God is in control of the nations. And gave you an example of one king that God used to change the course of history for the Jewish people and for us. He came... In the book of Acts, in Acts 26 and 16, it reads, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. In the message version, it says this, But now, up on your feet, I have a job for you. I've handpicked you to be a servant and witness to what's happened today and to what I'm going to show you. What was God speaking to Paul about? 
The same thing he's speaking to you. Not everyone's called to the ministry. Not everyone is called to preach. And I'll get to that in a moment. But everyone's called to stand upon their feet and arise, especially in the time that we're living. Especially in the happenings of today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Paul told Timothy, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, and my patience. What is the purpose here that Paul is explaining to Timothy? It was the presentation of a man of God to the world. That's your purpose. To present Christ to the world. Not only behind a pulpit, but in your home, on your job, in the stores, wherever you go, we're to be the presentation of our God. We all have a presentation. We all have a purpose. And that's to show other people that Jesus Christ resides in our life. There's no coincidences. You've heard that saying before. You've heard this saying, there's a reason for everything. Even things that we don't understand at the moment. I found the verse interesting in Romans 8.28 that we quote all the time. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. Called means you've been invited by God to come into his kingdom. To obtain eternal life and salvation. That you have been divinely selected and appointed by God to stand to your feet in the day that we're living to present Christ to the world. Purpose. And here's what the word purpose means. It means showbread, which most people don't know what that means. Showbread is spelled S-H-E-W-B-R-E-A-D. It was the 12 loaves of wheat and bread corresponding to the number of the tribes of Israel, which loaves were offered to God every Sabbath and separated into two rows and laid for seven days upon a table placed in the sanctuary or front portion of the tabernacle and afterwards of the temple. Purpose. Why does God refer to the word purpose in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 as the showbread? The showbread was on display for seven days. God's perfect number. The showbread was seen by the people as a reminder concerning the 12 tribes of Israel. You and I are the showbread. It's the purpose of God to to place before or to set forth so people can look at you. To expose you to public view. Hmm. But here's what it also means. It means basically dead bodies. It means to let lie in state. Now that's going to get people's attention. Wait a minute. We don't need to be talking about dead bodies, Pastor. We don't need to be talking about lying in state. 
That's a wake and a funeral. But you know what this word showbread means? It means not only that we're exposed to public view, but it means this, that the old man in us has been crucified with Christ on the cross. And people no longer see you, but the new man, because the old man is dead to sin. The old man says no. The old man says I'm not part of that. The new man says I'm a kingdom person and I'm kingdom bound and I'm glory bound and I don't mind being exposed to the public because of what Christ has done in me and through me and with me. Amen. Mm. The old man has been nailed to the cross that we might become the purpose of God and his presentation to the world. That's what that word purpose means in Romans 8.28. We have to die to self. We have to die to our plans because our plans are self-will. It's God's will that we want. He says, I've given you a cup and everyone's cup is different. Are we willing to drink the cup? We're going to be tested. I said we're going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tested. Our resolve is going to be tested. Our tenacity, our perseverance, our endurance is going to be tested. I always told my guys in the prison church when I was a chaplain, every Heavyweight fighter always trains for 15 rounds and not three. You see, my friend, if you take the opponent lightly and you think you got this because the opponent looks like a no count, that he hasn't fought anybody, that has any weight or any stature, that young buck in the third round, if you're not careful that you have trained for 15 might take you out. And if you haven't trained for 15, in the seventh round, your legs are going to get like rubber. And your arms are going to droop to their sides. And you're going to be a target for that young buck who's going to come in with a left hand and a right and he's going to deck you. And as your head goes down, he's going to give you an uppercut and you're going to see a different world in about three seconds. That's exactly what happens to a lot of people that don't listen that don't listen to what God is trying to say. We're going to be tested. And hopefully, our faith will stay intact. Many will apostatize. Many will leave the faith. Many will throw their hands up. And as I wrote to you the other day on the blog, many will go back to their addictions for pleasure to forget the pain of what's going on in society. It's something we all must deal with. It's something that has come to our doorstep. It's something that is a reality of life right now. But I still believe God is in control. I still believe God has his hand upon me and you. I still believe that God has his hand upon the nations. And he'll do whatever he has to do to cause that prophetic will, hallelujah, to come to pass and evolve. How do I know God knows exactly what he's doing? In Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, it says, 
For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purposes of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Now, most people don't know what that means. So let me read it to you in an easier way. Remember that promise? When I come back next year at this time, Sarah will have a son. Sarah laughed. She went in the tent and she thought God was amusing because that day God visited Abraham and Sarah. It was the Lord. And the Lord said, you know, Sarah, this time next year, you'll be breastfeeding a baby. Sarah went in. (laughs) I'm an an old woman. It don't matter how old or young you are. If that's God's plan, it'll come to pass. If If that's God, it'll come to pass. Don't worry. So listen, I want you to follow this. And that's not the only time God said to Rebecca. Also, a promise was made that took priority over genetics. What does that mean? Was he saying Rebecca couldn't have kids? Probably. Because God was saying this. He said, my plan will take priority over genetics. He's God. He knows what he's doing. So he says this. When she became pregnant by by our one-of-a-kind ancestor, Isaac. Thank God for Isaac. And her babies were still innocent in the womb, incapable of good or bad. She received a special assurance from God. What God did in this case made it perfectly plain that his purpose is not a hit-or-miss decision flowing steadily from his initiative. God told Rebecca, the firstborn of your twins will take second place. God had it all ordered. He had it all ordered. He had it all figured out in Rebecca's womb. Are you hearing what God is saying here? When God has a purpose, it will come to pass, my friend. It don't matter what anyone says. doesn't matter what anyone says. When God wants it done, in God's timing, it will come to pass in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It will happen. Hmm. So why did Jesus come? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in 1 John 3, 8. As I work toward a close. It says this. He that committed sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. And we were all sinners. We all recognize that, right? For this purpose. Listen. The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, for this cause, the ultimate cause and purpose of Jesus Christ was to be born of a virgin, to die on the cross, and to raise up on the third day. That was his purpose. 33 and a half years old, he died on the cross for me and you. Because that's what God, his father, called him to do. And in perfect timing, in perfect timing, he was born of that virgin when the fullness of time was come and lived out his life to 33 and a half, hung on a cross when everyone thought, it's done. It's over. There's no hope. Until the third day, he rose from the dead. What are you saying, Pastor? 
You know what purpose is? It's drive. It's determination. It's resolve. It's perseverance. It's tenacity. It's single-mindedness. It's commitment. It's devotion. It's dedication. It's the reason for living. People commit suicide because they lose their reason for living. They lose hope. They get into depression and despair. It's a dangerous place to be. Get help. Call someone. Talk to someone. Don't try to toughen it out. The body of Christ was created by God to help one another, to support one another. The strong to bear the infirmities of the weak. And you might be strong today, but weak tomorrow. To hold up the hands that are heavy. We must have a zeal and a passion in these last days for the Lord. The Bible says in Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. You know, if you put spaghetti and meatballs before me, I can really fulfill that verse. You know what I'm talking about? You just put spaghetti and meatballs before me with a, with a piece of garlic bread. And I tell you, sissy, I, I can really fulfill this verse to do it heartily as to the Lord. Don't even come up for air. You know what I'm talking about. It's like taking a drink of water on, on a very hot day. It's like sitting on your back porch and having a, a, a glass of iced tea that's just, oh, they, what do they call it down south? Sweet tea? Mm. It's, just, it's, it's just good. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. You know what one key failure of people is they try to please everyone and they try to please this one and that one. And let's face it, the goal of life is to please God. You're not going to please everyone, especially if you're a preacher. It's a precarious situation to be a preacher. Knowing that you're a sinner saved by grace, preaching truth to other people, is an ominous task and calling. Trust me, folks, when I say that. I can't even explain to you the ominous task sometimes to stand behind a sacred desk, try to live as close to God as you can so you're not a hypocrite, so you're not a poser and a pretender, and give truth to people knowing that you were saved by grace yourself. What's your purpose? We ought to be a presentation to others, for sure. You have to have a clear purpose in life. You have to know that when you wake up and you get out of bed, there's a reason. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you are before the Lord. Having a clear purpose simplifies your life because you're not walking around in circles trying to catch your tail and figure out what's life all about. Purpose defines what you do or what you don't do.
Does what you do give you purpose? Does what you do fulfill God's purpose and plan? Is it God's will? What do I want to allocate my time to? Frivolous things? Weaving baskets if God hasn't called me to weave baskets? What am I doing in my allocation of time to please God? Purpose helps to focus your life. It causes you to be effective by being selective. Don't become distracted by minor issues. Someone is always trying to interrupt your plan. Without clear direction, you will go aimlessly, place to place, job to job. Focused energy will be productive and fruitful. But when you're not focused, you will become unproductive and unfruitful for God. And your showbread will dry up and turn moldy. And people will recognize that. Because people aren't stupid. Knowing your purpose helps to motivate your life. In closing, Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. In the message version, it says this. If God doesn't build the house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman might as well nap. Hmm. Knowing your purpose, my friend, will determine your eternity. God will conduct a spiritual audit of our life. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to think that one day we'll come face to face with Jesus. And we'll have to give an account for our own life. Not for the person sitting next to you. The question will be is, what did you do with Jesus? Did you reflect the Lord's love? What did you do with what God gave you, your gifts and your talents? And what did you allow the hand of God to do with you? Howard Thurman said these words, and I quote, Do what is on fire inside of you What is most alive inside of you? That's a question. What is calling you? Move toward the light. I'll say that again. Do what is on fire inside of you. What is most alive inside of you? What is calling you? Move toward the light. You know what a lot of people miss in life? And I've seen this in the ministry. And I've worked with people. And I've had some people even under my tutelage at times. That wanted their name in lights. They want to be some famous somebody. And when you come across that type of a person, you say to yourself, it will never amount to a hill of beans. But you know what we're missing, my friend? We're missing 
the house that we live in. We have great aspirations. We have great dreams and plans that usually aren't born in the heart of God until we really get down with God and ask him his plan. But what are those little feet that run through your house? You see, they have an eternal purpose and destiny with God. And as parents, they're the arrows that we shoot. If we don't shoot them in the right direction, they'll go astray. Hear me. It's our duty to be the showbread to our children. It's our duty to be an example to our children and those around us. That they can look at us and want to imitate us and say, my dad is a man of God. My mom is a woman of God. My grandparents are people of God. The person that sits next to me in church that doesn't live in my house is a man and woman of God. We're missing the greatest commodity that's within our reach that was born from the loins of a woman and we're abandoning them because no one is asking them what do you think your purpose is? Why do you think you were born? Why do you think you're here at this time? And a greater question why do you think you live under our roof? And have these people as your authority? Those are very good questions. We have commodities in the world, gold and silver, which are very valuable. But even more valuable than gold and silver is heartily, as unto the Lord, being the best parent, the best Christian, the best grandparent, the best teacher the best worker. That's what God's calling us to. So we started out this sermon by asking a question. What should I do? I hope that God has given you some light and illumination on how to proceed. Don't do it on your own. Don't try it on your own. Because you know what? One day God will have to come with his spiritual dustpan and sweep you up with his spiritual brush and say back down to the potter's house, we've got to do this all over again. God bless you. Thank you for listening.